Do you want a cash-flowing portfolio that lets you live a life of freedom? Sunsets and palm trees on your terms. Your host, Corey Peterson, is a rags-to-riches real estate millionaire who started with no money or credit and quickly grew a multi-million dollar portfolio of cash-flowing apartments. You're only one deal away from creating the cash flow life. And the Multifamily Legacy Podcast will show you how. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Multifamily Legacy Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peterson. And today we've got a great interview with my good friend, Jason Lee. And Jason's got a really unique story of not only is he a broker, but he's a broker slash operator. We talked about some really good behind the scenes of that road to broker relationships. What does that look like from the broker's perspective and that he understands the other side of what we're going through. And I think it's a really unique story. I loaded him with lots of questions and lots of insight. It's a great podcast. I really think you're going to enjoy it. But before we do that, a word from our sponsors. At Kahuna Investments, we partner with passive investors to create award-winning communities families love to call home. If you want to learn more about our company and our process, go to www.kahunainvestments.com and click the deal room. All right, we're back. Hey, listen, before we get into Jason's story, if you've not done so, listen, our seats are going fast. The Kahuna Boardroom, kahunaboardroom.com. If you are looking to grow your real estate, if you want to learn to raise private money really cheap and do it in a way that I think will change your life, you need to go to my event. My It's a three-day event, February 16th through the 18th. If you've not registered, go there now. And I'm just telling you, without trying to do a lot of hype, it'll change your life. I know it does. I've got a lot of people that have come to it, and it has done an amazing job. I only have 60 seats. They're filling up quickly. So just wanted to give you guys a shout out. If you're looking for that, 2023 is going to be amazing. And you're going to be amazing with it and get some opportunities. And if you know what to do and how to position your money right, this is going to be one event that you're not going to want to miss. So highly, highly recommend you check us out, kahunaboardroom.com. Okay, so going back to Jason and our story, I mean, it really was, it's, this is going to be an amazing podcast. Lots of little golden nuggets, really understanding the difference. And I'll say this, like everybody forgets that brokers do not make any money until you buy. So understanding the mindset behind what they're going through, I think it's vitally important. And you're going to really like this show and the stories we got. So let's get into it. Hey, Jason, welcome to the show, brother. Hey, how you doing? Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited about this episode because I feel like this is one of those episodes we're going to talk about is something that a lot of new investors need to know and even seasoned investors need to understand it more about understanding brokerages and broker relations. I think it's always a big topic. But before we get into that, though, I would love for you just to kind of tell us about you and your company and what you guys do and a little more about yourself. Yeah, for sure. I'm the president of JLM Real Estate here in San Diego, California. We service mostly private client, multifamily investors in the area. Our average deal size, anywhere from five to 35 units. So pretty small multifamily here in San Diego, not institutional. And then I started in brokerage in summer of 2018 when I was still in college. I had a really tough first year and then from there, kind of skyrocketed after kind of like putting in the time, making the calls. The last three years, we've done over 300 million in deals. And I've personally bought over 40 million in assets in the last two years myself with a partner without raising outside capital. And yeah, that's my short little 60 second blurb of who I am. Yeah, that's awesome, dude. That's exciting. The five to 35 unit space. 
For some, they'll say, oh, that's too small, right? I'm telling you, I've got a lot of people in my mastermind right now that are crushing that little space right there. So tell us a little bit more about that geography of what that looks like. Because I think there's crazy value in that market right now. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. The reason why your students and I've done pretty well in it is because it's too small for the institutional players to jump into. And it's an area where there's not as much competition as like two ends of the spectrum. One end, you have like the one of four units that are super, very competitive through like a lot of consumers and residential buyers out there. A lot of people can afford one to four unit properties. And there's the other end of the spectrum, institutional, call it 50 units and above, 100 units and above, where there's a lot more money, a lot more buying power. But like in that sweet spot in between like five to 20 to 30 units, there's not that much competition. Usually most of the buyers are local. If you go that small, so you're not competing nationally. So yeah, I mean, it's been a market where I've been able to find really, really good opportunities for my clients and also some for myself as well. Yeah, 20 or 30 units is like pretty sweet spot because it's really, like you said, your personal buyers is going to buy a quad. You're like, oh, I'm going to buy a quad. Well, 30 units, they can't do, they can't touch but it's way too small. Like I would never buy, like I say that now, I'm not trying to be conceited, but it's just not in my business plan to buy a 30 unit deal, not set up for it, mm -hmm. right? I'm only set up to do larger multifamilies. But what's some of the advantages? Because I would think that going seller direct, you're not really dealing with institutions at the 20 or 30 unit level or like more bigger companies, right? Yeah, it's all like small companies or like families, like family trusts. Mom and pops, yeah. Yeah, mom and pop. Yep. Yeah. And so how does the brokerage attract that clientele? Because this is like a micro positioning for a brokerage to say like, this is our sweet spot. This is what we look for. How do you guys go on finding the sellers for that? Yeah. I mean, in a city like San Diego, there's a ton of properties. It's like almost like 10,000 properties like in this range. So there's a lot of owners that are in this market that own this kind of asset. So it's actually a pretty big playing field in this city, but I know some like Phoenix, most of the apartment complexes are hundred units and above place like Vegas. But yeah, I mean, we've positioned ourselves to be in this field because we know it better than anyone else. And to find those deals, honestly, it's been a lot of networking on the phones, going to certain events in the area. LinkedIn has been pretty huge, but honestly, a lot of our businesses come from just being on the phones a lot. Yeah. Just finding that right marketplace and then calling to ask for referrals, all that stuff, right? Yeah. Doing the legwork, I always say that's the value of what a good brokerage does is some people forget how much work it takes to find and get cultivate sellers to actually sell. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think good brokers will encourage owners to sell, especially at the right times, right? Yeah. And so, because that's the business model, that's what you guys, your job is to go out there and find it. But I find it like a lot of times, if you would just understand what you guys do, if you are as an investor, if you did that work yourself or hired a team to do it, you'd be successful in going direct to sellers, but you got to do the work, which like you just said, Jason, it's not just like, oh, send out an email. You're actually phone working. You're calling people, talking to people. Mm -hmm. What does that conversation usually sound like? Yeah. I mean, if we're calling a potential seller, we usually ask if they've ever thought about selling the property, if now's a better time, they haven't. And then usually ask if they consider an offer from a buyer who's looking in the area. We usually have at least two or three buyers in a 1031 exchange at all times. So we have value to bring there because 1031 buyers are usually the highest paying buyers at any given time because they have real motivation to purchase or else they have a huge tax liability. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, that's usually our short and sweet. So you're really just marrying, I mean, that's what a good broker does is marrying deals to potential investors or capital. Yep, exactly. Right. For someone that's listening right now new and they're saying like, okay, well, that sounds great, Corey, but I don't know these brokers. I feel like there's a lot of people that don't know how to establish 
a relationship with a broker. And I would just love it from your point of view. What have you seen other people do that's been the most effective and to get on your radar? Like, what does that look like? Yeah. If I think back to my 10 best clients and how I met them, I'd say half of them, I reached out to myself seeing if they were looking to buy or looking to do something. So if you already have a track record, brokers come to you and it gets much easier. So when you first start, it's obviously not that way. You have to kind of build your brand and know exactly, everyone needs to know what exactly you're looking for. But like the road becomes much easier once you have that track record. But for someone who's just getting started, the way I met people that didn't have any track record and have become some of my best clients is that they would call me at least like, once a week, once every two weeks to see what I had going on, start some conversations. Some even took me out to lunch. Some even got me little like gifts and stuff, sent me letters. So like those people stood out. Whereas most people do only send emails. Most people do only like call like once a quarter, maybe reach out or send a text. That phone call at least once or twice a week to see if your broker that you're trying to talk to has anything new coming up. Super valuable because those people stay at the top of my mind. Those are usually the ones that get fed deals right? It's not a fair world, okay? I want to let everybody know that. This is not a fair world. The juice goes to those who learn how to get the squeeze. And a lot of times, staying in touch with your broker, let them know that you're a buyer, you're ready, and you have capital, and you want to deploy, Mm -hmm. right? Because at this point where you're doing all this work, it's free work, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Kind of piggybacking on that is any broker wants to make sure that- Everybody forgets about this, (laughs) by the way, right? Yeah, every broker wants to make sure that they're working with a willing and able buyer that can close because I've been in many transactions and this is the quickest way to burn a relationship with a broker is to go into escrow, not perform as you say you would and back out because now no one's getting paid. The broker's pissed off. The seller's pissed off, puts me in a bad position. And now I'll probably never send you a deal ever again. Yeah. Because here's the thing for you guys listening right now, what you don't realize sometimes is the broker has went to bat for you, right? Jason, you went to bat on the buyer's behalf, telling your seller, this is the one. Because you usually, hopefully you have a competitive bidding process when you're selling something, right? And you're going to help pick the best guy or group that has the strongest looking offer. And so at that point, you're helping them with those decisions. And a lot of times brokers that I know will give, like, will put in their two cents, Mm -hmm. right? And so you're effectively saying, yeah, this is the one. Yeah, I agree. And then if something goes bad, brokers don't look at the seller, right? The sellers don't look at the buyer. All they do is look at you, right, Jason? Yeah, they're like, what's going on? Like, why did you pick this buyer? Yeah, they're not calling me, the buyer. They're calling Jason. Yeah, exactly. And then that leads into a whole, like, it just gets antsy. It gets shitty and things happen. So the best thing you can ever do is when you're talking with someone like Jason is do what you say you're going to do. Yeah. In my opinion, right? Like. Do not screw up. Listen, if you have about two or three brokers on your team that really like are understand what you're looking for and where your niche is, they can feed you forever. Oh, yeah. And they will, right? Yeah, for sure. Your 10 best clients, do you have to jack with them much? No. Like, is it a lot of hand-holding or is it like, nope, got a deal. Here's what it is. I queued this one up for you. No, it's exactly that. It's a very easy process for both sides. You have to get along with who you work with. So I really get along with all these investors that I work with. Same thing. If you're an investor like yourself, you have to get along with your broker. So if you two mesh and you're in the same niche, call it you're both in multifamily, you're both in office, whatever it is, your vision aligns. It's a very good relationship that you can have for the rest of your life. Are your best clients taking you out and doing stuff with you? Probably not as much as they should. A few of them. So one of my favorite thing to do, like, now it's always hard. So I'm usually an out-of-state buyer. Luckily, I live in Phoenix. So a lot of people come to Phoenix 
for whatever, yeah. right? I've learned that experiences are more important than stuff, right? So like I could send a broker something and that's great, but it doesn't really matter unless he really, really like if I knew you were like Sandy a Chargers fan, yeah. right? Is Chargers still in San Diego? Not anymore, but yeah, I, I get what okay. you're saying. That's my analogy. But if that was your if like you said that that was your team and you were a diehard fan, I might send you the Orca cooler that's the Charger Orca cooler, mm-hmm. right? But that's stuff. I think it's more important to say, hey, listen, do you like to fish? Do you like to golf? Like, let me fly out and let's go do some fun stuff. Yeah. Because that would go a long way. It does. Yeah. I mean, my best client and I golf together. We do things together. There it yeah, is. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> exactly. See, I, yeah. Once you start thinking about it, you're like, oh, wait. Yeah, yeah. We do life together, right? We do stuff. Yeah. And those are usually the easiest and most blessed best business partners that you could ever wish for. And so, in your opinion, what is the seller? What is the buyer? What things are they possessing that you really are looking for? If I'm looking to develop a new relationship with a potential investor or buyer, the key thing I'm looking for is person, do they have capital, right? Like, do they have an ability to perform on the deal? So I ask questions lightly around that. I'll see if they have real motivation because everyone will say they're a buyer, just toot their own horn. But a lot of them aren't actually serious and active. Because they all go to a course, right, Jason? Yeah. They all go to a course, fresh out of a course, and now they're calling. Yeah. Our phrase in the community is kind of like buyers are liars, right? A lot of people say they're buyers, but how many will actually do a deal? So yeah, just, just finding the right buyers is very important. And the only way you do that, I think, is through the follow-up. I mean, that's like the only way that you can have a better opinion of anybody is when they're ringing you up every week because that's not normal. Yeah. Most is just a once a done or once a quarter. Like That's like tire kicking. Mm-hmm. Like, why would you ever want to go work for that? Exactly. Right? There's no motivation, especially when you have your best 10 already in queued up. And everybody's got to realize that these brokers that you're talking to, they already have their best clients, guys. They already have their choice people. And so how do you get into the inside circle? You're not going to get there like overnight. I think that's the biggest misconceptions I see. They're like, oh, well, I called and I went on. I looked at one property with them. I have a relationship. I'm like, you don't have squat. You don't have dick. Yeah. You're in the right to have Jason to call you and say, hey, what's up? I got this nice pocket listing that I want to give you. Yeah. So as you started investing in, do you invest only in your market or do you invest like a little bit outside of San Diego or like where's your sweet spot for what you're doing on your personal level? Because that's pretty remarkable as well. We do plan on branching on the future, but right now I know the market down here extremely well and with more knowledge comes less risk. So right now we've kind of grown our portfolio here, but as we grow, we do plan on venturing to other areas for sure. And if it's not broke, don't fix it. Yeah, for sure. Right? If the Honeywell is making honey, bro, don't screw it up. Yeah. Stick with that nice, like, dude. I call it your Tuesday, Wednesday morning, right? If those days show up every week, right? It's just be consistent. Let's just go get that. Exactly. Now, one of the challenges that I've seen for a lot of investors in that 20 to 30 unit kind of space is management. How do you overcome that objection? Or what do you find most investors that do that? What do they have? Who do they have on their team? Because like you don't have staff. How are they going to show the units? How does all that work? Just like in any industry, there's bad managers and there's good managers, but in other states, but in California, you have to have an on-site manager if you have at least 16 units in the same APN. So that helps if you have above 16 units, you have an on-site person full-time. But if you're below that, you don't, and you really have to have a good manager. And I've been through about three or four. You have to have an on-site manager for anything over 16 units? Yeah. 
Oh my God. So you just give them a free unit or a discounted unit? That or you got like pay them part, like a part-time thing. You have to have someone on staff for that particular exactly. project, yeah. right? Yeah. To imagine. Now, if you're in the same market, do you see a lot of guys stacking units together and having one manager? Can you repeat that with the same person and say, okay, quarter time for that? For the, you know, there's a 420 plexes in this kind of the same five mile area. Does that happen very often or no? Is it more geographically spread out? No, I mean, mostly my clients that have a bunch of these kind of properties in the area, they have one management company that handles their whole portfolio in the area. Okay. So yeah, you're hiring a third-party management company yep. that specializes in that space. Exactly. So this is new to me because I don't know this business. What's your typical management fees for that type of property? It's usually like the average is like 4 to 5% gross collected income. Oh, wow. That's cheap. I was thinking it was going to be more like 8 I usually pay three for my big units, but that's awesome, right? Because I feel like if they're going out and showing units, because usually you have to have someone to go out and physically go and show your units. So they have to go drive out there. It's not like when you have staff, they just show up and they're like, oh yeah, let's do a property tour. Yeah. This is yeah. going to be a little bit more scheduled, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. But I said also, what's your average rent there in San Diego? It depends on the area, but right now it's anywhere like 2200 a month. God damn, we're in the wrong spot. <laughs> If I could get 20, I have nothing that's $2,200. My God, that's crazy, dude. Yeah. I forget how much, I'm just one state away. <laughs> we have some expensive rents here, but like, I mean, expensive would be like 1500 bucks maybe, but like you go one state over, it's double. You can almost double or triple it easily. Yeah, it's crazy. It really is. It's nuts how one state makes so much difference in valuations, but that's California real estate. Yeah. And I think sometimes the only people that understand California real estate is people from California. <laughs> yeah. I look at that state, I'm like, it's like got a big hexagon or X on yeah. it. It says a big red X. It says, don't do it ever, Corey. <laughs> and so I don't even try. But then I talk to people like you, Jason. I mean, that market, it has peaks and valleys, which I guess is really opportunity if you understand what cycle you're in. There's a lot of rides. You can make big gains if you understand where that cycle is. Do a lot of your guys buy and hold or they buy and sell or buy and hold and operate and then sell? A lot of people in San Diego, uh, a lot of them are buy and hold investors long term. Yeah. But I mean, here it's very like recession resistant. I mean, even in the last recession, there's only like eight properties that went back to the bank in 2008, 2010. It was pretty steady. I mean, even now we're not really seeing any price drops and other cities are seeing some yeah. bigger ones than us for sure. Are you ready for retirement? The majority of Americans are not. Failing Social Security and dated financial planning practices put strains on many retirees' finances. 46% of Americans admit they are not taking steps to prepare for the likelihood they outlive their retirement savings. Luckily, it's not too late. Diversify your portfolio. At Kahuna Investments, we partner with passive investors to create award-winning communities families love to call home. To learn more about our company and our process, go to www.kahunainvestments.com and click the deal room. Having a little bit of a pricing drop in our single family homes for sure. Are you seeing that in multifamily or no? Not as much. It's softer, right? It's softer. So it's really weird. It's really changing. And I think it's going to change a little bit longer. You know, we got another six months of percolating, mm -hmm. right? We got to let the Fed kind of run its whole course with these rate yeah. increases. But the treasury hasn't changed a whole lot. And so it's actually went down a little bit. Yeah. So. When it comes down to like just overall why you love that 20 and 30 unit space, what got you so excited to like, I'm going to set up my brokerage. Like, what is it about that space that you love? Yeah, honestly, it's where I came from. The mentor who kind of taught me out of college and taught me the business, that's kind of what they specialize in. So I kind of learned it from some of the best people in the business in my city and then decided to kind of spin off my own way and keep doing it. We are expanding 
into other asset clouds pretty soon here. As of right now, that's how we built our business. No, I get it. Well, and you're building it and where real estate's super expensive. So I do think about those swings, right? I think about sometimes you may not lose, but like when the market's really good, it goes on fire. Yeah. Right. And Phoenix is the same, but it's hard for me to cash flow in Phoenix, though. I, like, I have a hard time cash flowing. I always wonder, can you cash flow in your market or is it like, hey, listen, you buy it first. It's really about the hold strategy. You may break even for first couple of years and then you start seeing the long term gains. What do you see in that marketplace with how California market is? Yeah. I mean, in order for you to cash flow significantly, which you can, it happens all the time. You have to buy what you probably look for. You have to have a value add business plan in order to- It's the real value add. Yeah. It's got to be a heavy value add play where you get the rents up 30 to 40% above what it was before. And then hopefully the price you bought it for reflects that. Well, but I think that's probably where there is opportunity and because there's so many houses out there. If you look at the population of California, there's just so many damn homes there, right? So- if you can find that 20plex that you can do a heavy lift on, that is your value play every time, right? Exactly. I mean, watch flip this house. Now it's flipped this 20plex. Mm -hmm. But it's really not flipped this 20plex. It's like flip the 20plex as far as the renovations, fill it, and hold it. Now you're cash flowing. Yeah. Right? And then you just hold that. And the one thing about California real estate is I feel like people hold stuff for a long time once they get it. Yeah, they do. Because like it just it's a forever money. Mm -hmm. You're exactly right. What advice would you give to new people, as you think about your journey and really starting into doing real estate on your own, what would you give advice of like new investors that are coming in, new multifamily space? What would you tell them? What advice would you give them? Yeah. I mean, the best piece of advice I can give is to, if you're just getting started, learn the business in some way and provide value for knowledge, right? So if you're just getting started, you have to have something to give in return to learn a lot of knowledge because if you just watch the YouTube videos all day, if you just listen to podcasts and only read books and don't take any action, you won't really get anywhere. This is all great. I mean, your podcast is great. The internet's great for learning. But unless you actually learn under someone who's more knowledgeable, more experienced than you, it's tough to kind of really understand how everything works. So I think the thing that moved the needle for most in my career was learning from people and clients who are just much smarter and way more ahead of me in life. You said it, Jason. You said mentor is the key. You said a mentor, right? You said, I had a mentor. My mentor taught me, right? And I had a mentor as well. And I mentor other people. I feel like that is, if you really want to be successful and get there faster, you have to have, because you can only be book read so much. And remember, most books are outdated. Whatever they're teaching doesn't work anymore, right? Because the market in real estate is always changing. It always does. The cheese moves more often than not. And so yesterday's strategies are not today's strategies to find deals. Mm -hmm. And so a good mentor that understands this can help you avoid a lot of the pitfalls, right? And I would say, what did you learn the most from your mentor? What pieces of advice did he tell you that really helped you move your needle the most? Man, honestly, the best piece of advice I got from him is to just stay on the phones, keep networking with people no matter what, always be prospecting, always look for the next opportunity while also sheltering what you currently have and building your book of business. But I think that's what's really moving the needle for me the most. And on the more on the investing side, I think what I learned from some of my best mentors is to be patient, play the long game, don't cash out, move those profits, keep reinvesting them, keep doing 1031s and don't pay taxes. Man, don't pay taxes. By the way, guys, if you are looking to do deals, you've got about, what, 10 days to figure it out and get into some type of investment. We actually have one, by the way. If you've not learned about it, come and uh, check out my website, kahunainvestments.com, and we would love to start that relationship with you. It may be too late for that deal, but we've got other deals that offer depreciation. There's my little short-term plug. So 
Jason, so I will say that I feel like I know a lot of people that are in the brokerage business, but I don't know a lot of people that are in the brokerage business and actually do real estate. I think that's very rare. I could be wrong, but I don't think it's as common as that. Well, at least I don't see it very often. I think a lot of guys that start brokerages, they're in the brokerage business. It's very seldom that you find someone like you. This is why I'm really intrigued by what you've done is that not only, so you start off in that space, learning how to develop leads, how to cultivate those deals. And then the great thing about it is when you already, and you start seeing other guys buy, you start seeing what they're buying for and what they're buying, how they're buying. I mean, it's really like an inside look at the game. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Right? Of how these guys are putting the stuff together. Because you have your performa, but then you've got maybe another buyer that has a different vision. And you start following up with it. And I'm sure you keep in touch with those guys because sometimes they bring those deals back on market for you to go sell. You're like, oh, my God. Wow. I saw that business plan. And then I saw it to the end where he was ready to go now sell it. You're like, wow, that's crazy. Good job. Mm -hmm. So you just like, how is that like? I just want to learn about how did that feel? Like to me, that's like an open playbook that you get to watch transactions of how they really go down. Yeah. I mean, there's two reasons why I wanted to get into the investing business as well, because one is like you said, I saw how much money my clients were making, how much equity they were building from buying these properties. And I mean, reason number two, which is not as obvious, was that all the real estate professionals that were still working, that were all in their 60s, 70s, they didn't own any real estate. So I knew that if I didn't make my commissions work harder for me, I'd be working my whole life. And I really don't want to do that. Yeah. So you look and say, hey, I learned the business from it, but I also learned that I don't want to be the guy that's in my 60s still trying to sell, make the dollar when how I just do what the other guys that are buying the properties, figure out that game as well. And what a great little segue. Now, before you got into real estate, what were you doing like before that? Like, how did you get the call? Yeah. Did you go to school for it or like, yeah, just curious. No, it's a great question. When I started in real estate, I was a junior in college. I was only 21 years old. It was my third year. And every year before that, I was on the track to be like, to go to medical school, which I would have absolutely hated. So I kind of fell into it after hating my classes and wanting to get out of what I currently was in. I was miserable. I found real estate. And the first event I went to on campus, I met my senior broker and then... So you had a broker that came on campus looking for guys like you. Exactly. Yep. And that's how it happened. By the way, so I'm trying to get my kids to do this, right? (laughs) I was like, get my kids. Because I want my kids to take over my company, but I also wanted to like, I don't want to do all the early training with them. I need them to go get an education. I'm like, one of the best educations you can get is working with a brokerage, like you name it, Marcus Millichap. I mean, there's... Lots of brokers that will teach you the business. But I think what they teach you is how to like, it's work the phones. It's follow up on every lead. It's like do the work, right? Understand underwriting, understand P&Ls, profit and loss statements, right? Financials. You get a real quick learning from oh, that, yeah. right? That's all I did. <laughs> yeah, 24-7. You kind of become the grunt for these teams. Like these teams, major brokers are the ones making all the money and they hire their junior associates to say, hey, Jason, come here. Let me show you the business but I need you to do all my grunt work, Mm -hmm. right? But in doing the grunt work, that's where you really start to develop, I think, your IQ. For anybody that's listening, that's a great way to segue. If you don't feel like you're ready to get in the multifamily space as an owner-operator, go learn the business, right? And get underneath somebody and just add value and do the work. They'll show you the opportunities, right, Jason? Exactly. Yep. Couldn't have said it better. Yeah. And then from there, I think if you listen to Jason's story is... Once he understood it, and then you start making money, you finally start getting your own listings. And how long ago did you break away and kind of start your own thing? Epic, by the way. It's been about a year and a half. That was another like, yeah. right? I'm going to go out on my own, yeah. right? Hold on. 
All my clients don't come with yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. Some of them do, though, believe it or not, right? Yeah, most do. Is there a non-compete in that business, or is it just kind of like, if I get a listing, it's like a broker. I got the listing, so it's mine now, right? Yeah, yeah. But your salary goes away, and anything that you had like that was guaranteed goes away, right? The moment you start on your own? I never had a base salary. Most brokers don't have a base salary when they start. Keep what you kill. Yep, there yep. it is. Exactly. What a great learning experience, right? Oh, yeah. It was the best. I think about all the mistakes that I've made, and- there is what's as many, 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 many. But gosh dang it, if I could have been more formally educated, right? Because one thing I think brokers, what I love about brokers is they can understand a bigger game of the commercial arena. There's different levels to all that stuff, right? But once you kind of get a formal understanding of it, and then from there, then when you get that choice deal, you're like, oh, I think this is one I can do. Or you can call one of your other parties, hey, I've got this deal. I want to partner on it, Yeah. right? And you start asking for a little bit. I don't want to just be the broker. I want to forego my broker commissions. That's another idea. And let's just do the deal together. Okay, that's great. I mean, there's guys that you start finding the right groups, putting stuff together. You you start putting yourself into deals. Now you're building real wealth. And eventually you just get all your own stuff. Just like you said, you said you got those deals without raising any capital for these deals or or was it partnership capital? No, my partner and I pulled the money 50-50. Yeah, it was all personal cash. Love it, right? That's saying something, bro. (laughs) That's like, show me the money. Yeah, here it is. Bingo, right? (laughs) Yeah. So what's the future look like? And Jason, as we kind of go into 2023, like there's a lot of craziness going on, rates, marketplace, and stuff like that. What's Jason's outlook on that kind of stuff? I think no matter what happens in the world, no matter what markets do, a lot of the information out there is just there to scare you. But if you're a disciplined investor and you're always looking for deals, there's going to be a lot of great buying opportunities. I mean, I don't think the sky is falling. I really don't. Prices might come down a little more. But the great thing right now, if you're an investor, is there's a lot less competition out there. I mean, in 2021, there was way too much competition. So now is the best time to buy because there's just not a lot of buyers looking. It was like a Saturday night party, dude. Everybody was showing up. <laughs> it is like, my God, I can't even move. Yeah. Right? Monday, I did this podcast the other day. It's not even a release, but I keep talking about it because... This person was like, she gave me that analogy. He goes, like, 2021 was like Saturday. Saturday party is like, everybody's in the room. It's hard. There's not a lot of space. <laughs> uh, you know, liquor's flowing, right? Everybody's partying. Yeah, I'll pay more. Screw it. Let's do yeah. it. And then all of a sudden, the Sunday hangover shows up or Monday yeah. shows up. And you're like, oh, my God. And now we're back to Tuesday. Like, I don't think it's as bad as it looks right now. Like, all that sting has kind of went out. And it's time to go to work a little yeah. bit. I agree with you. Things are not going to be as bad or as crazy. I really think that. But when should you be buying when there's opportunity? And I think you should do the opposite of what most times Wall Street or the media is going to tell you. Oh, it's crashing. It's crashing. Don't buy. No, that's probably the time you should be buying. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. And go all in. In fact, we just had a mastermind that I was in. Uh, One of my good friends, Lee Arnold, was talking. He's like, dude, this is the time where you double your marketing one or two key people away from really turning your needle. Hire those people now. Go find those people now because they're people are getting displaced now. Believe it or not, jobs reports always in the rears, but everything's kind of there's funk coming. So find those great people and hire them yep. because you may just need one little person to fix your business really, not exponentially. And if you can get them, you can get them cheaply right now. Exactly. Recession equals opportunity, as you know better than me. It's the time to grow. I mean, I've seen the best investors, the best brokers come out of the worst recessions. And that's why right now is the best time to take more market share. Bingo. Go all in. And you don't have to be with all your money, but I'm just saying your time and your commitment, this is the time where you really put that level of effort into your craft and into your game yep. because it will reap real rewards for you. 
Cool. Well, listen, as we kind of wrap up this, uh, thanks again for coming on. I really enjoyed, I didn't know where this conversation was going to go, but I thought, I think it's been really good. And just understanding the mindset of a broker, broker operator. Yeah. I think that you bring the two and mesh it really well together. I think it's very unique to have your perspective. It's been a great conversation. So any books that you've been reading, Jason, that you really want to share that's kind of moved your needle? And what do those books tell you? Yeah. I mean, one that comes to mind top of my list is it's not even real estate related, but it's how to win and influence friends. Real estate is a people business first. If you have a lack of deals and a lack of money, it's not a money problem that you have a people problem, right? So understanding how to build and develop relationships, the most important thing you can do. Uh, amen to that. Relationships are the key. And then we talked about this again, but I'll let you restate it. Any new people, what would you tell them? Advice? Yeah. If you're just looking to get into real estate, looking to break in, I mean, the best advice I can give is number one is gain some knowledge, understand like from people like yourself that real estate's a hard industry to navigate on your own. So if you gain a lot of knowledge, it'll change your beliefs and your beliefs will change your actions. And a lot of the times people have a lot of, not like they have a tough time converting their beliefs into actions. Like most people never get started. I mean, if you want to ask me like from clients that I've met, and I've asked their friends like why some people are successful in real estate or not. I mean, the ones who never got started are the ones who are not. Like doing your first deal is the hardest thing. There's the most anxiety, the most fear, the most doubt, because you don't know what you don't know. So after you do your first deal, it's like the world just opens up. Great. Well, really, thanks for sharing that. That is really a great insight of how things work. How do people get a hold of you? If they want to get people want to get learn more about Jason, where do they find you at? Yeah. Quickest way to reach me is just to DM me on my Instagram or LinkedIn. It's at Jason Joseph Lee, just my full name. That's the easiest way to get in touch. Rock and roll, man. Really enjoyed talking with you, really getting your perspective. Guys, if you're listening right now, I'll tell you, there's so many ways to win in real estate. There's just so many opportunities. And we're coming into a period of time that hard work, that season of like, let's go at it. It's here already. And I just want to encourage you to jump full in, get the education that you need. Find the mentors that you want and then go at it with unbridled passion. I'm telling you, if you will do those things, success will come find you and it'll be like a friend sitting right next to you. You're like, good to meet you, right? That's how success is. It'll want to champion in your forward endeavors. So guys, believe it or not, it all starts in the mind. If you believe it, you can achieve it and your paradise is possible. Mm -hmm.